The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. you're free how you doing happy friday thank god it's friday it is halloween weekend and uh, we're not gonna have a spooky show for you we're gonna have an awesome show for you because we have scott paul in the house with us i'm like i'm leslie marshall scott paul is as many of you know and if you don't he is president of the alliance for american manufacturing the aam it is a partnership at the aam established by some of america's leading manufacturers and the united steelworkers union Now, for many years, well over a decade, Scott and AAM have worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters and our national leaders. They've done it through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy. More than a pleasure to have uh, Scott with us. Check out their website, by the way, while we're on or during the breaks, AmericanManufacturing.org. And please follow them on social media, on Twitter, at Keep It Made in USA, as we should. And so follow Scott on Twitter as well, at Scott Paul. A-A-M. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Happy Friday. Well, ready for Halloween? Dressing up as anything? I'm, I've am i given up dressing up. I'm like done. I've done it so many years. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think my boys have approached the too cool for Halloween uh, era. So I, how, I old, wait, how old are your boys? Yeah, they're, they're 13. They're 13. Okay, my boy, so. my boy, my boy is 14. My my girl, my kids are 13 and 14. And I, I totally, Mark had said, what are they dressing up as? And I'm like, they, they're done. <laughs> they're done. <laughs> yeah. Which in so, a way is good for us, right? It occurred to me, I should have worn a mask for the show. <laughs> well, I could say something about that, but I'll get in a lot of trouble. Not about you, more about me. Uh, I, I want to I, I want to talk about um, a lot of things. Um, of course, we want to talk about Build Back Better, uh, the social spending, physical infrastructure and climate investment bill. Uh, yesterday, the president announced he's reached a deal with Senate Democratic holdouts on the $1.85 trillion social spending and climate bill. The package contains a lot of stuff, uh, programs that, if enacted, uh, will profoundly impact the lives of families with children, low-income Americans, and the renewable energy uh, economy. Now, that's according to a statement from the White House. Um, I I, want to talk um, with regard to manufacturing and break some of this down. This is, from the progressive caucus within the Democratic Party, essential for them, and this is why they said no infrastructure vote until we get this you know, reconciliation package, the Build Back Better uh, package, um, they wanted climate change included. Pushback on some of the climate change measures from Senator Joe Manchin, Democratic Senator from West Virginia, who is pretty much the decider these days, sadly, in the Senate. Um, but this is the largest effort to combat climate change uh, in American um, history. Uh, can you speak to that with regard for manufacturing? Because we have heard from scientists for years warning that extreme weather will worsen in the wake of climate change. Millions of Americans live this reality in real time. We are seeing more tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes than ever before. Uh, many changes in weather patterns that affect uh, whether it's flooding uh, here in my state of California, wildfires, 
uh, drier climate than we've ever had with less rainfall, you know, even more so uh, in recent years over the past decade. Uh, there have been lives shattered, lives lost, extreme weather fueled, as I talked about, by uh, changes in climate. Homes destroyed, schools destroyed, small businesses destroyed. This cost America more than $100 billion alone late last year. Uh, please speak to this uh, latest and largest effort uh, to combat climate change in American history within this Build Back Better program. Absolutely, Leslie. And first, let me just acknowledge that this is a compromise bill. So no one got exactly what they were hoping for. Uh, that, that's the nature of compromise. There is absolutely zero margin for error here. And so to thread the needle like this uh, takes a great deal of listening, sophistication, and a willingness to get to yes. And I think ultimately that's where Senate Democrats, House Democrats, the president are going to end up, you know. And so it is a you know, some I think some members will have to hold their noses and vote for the bills. Others will be a little happier. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is something and a substantial something versus nothing at all. Um, and I think that's important. Now, with respect to climate, uh, first of all, this represents the largest investment in securing a climate future that is friendlier to the planet, friendlier to human beings. Uh, than anything we've ever done in the United States. In fact, it's six times the amount of investment uh, in, in the Obama administration. And so uh, $555 billion. Uh, so what does that go for? So for folks who want to install solar panels, it means that your return on investment will shorten to five years uh, instead of 10 or 12 years, where it is right now. If you want to buy an electric vehicle uh, and you want to buy an American-made, union-made uh, electric vehicle, which I strongly recommend, uh, you're going to get 12500 bucks back from the federal government to do that. And so that's not chump change. That is a significant offset to the cost for some of those vehicles, which has been a, a barrier to entry. Um, and as we are building up uh, renewable energy sources in the United States, including solar, including wind, uh, and other renewable sources, um, there are tax credits to do that, and those tax credits are enhanced if the materials for that renewable energy future, so the steel for the wind turbines or the solar panels, uh, if that is made in America, uh, those manufacturers, those developers uh, get a greater tax incentive to do it that way. So all in all, this is about a made in America, clean energy future that's not only going to be good for climate, good for consumers. It's also going to create jobs in the United States in the manufacturing sector. I, I so want to jump in because this yeah. is, uh, this. you read my mind, my next question was going to be, you know, because you talked about the consumer rebates, which are substantial that the, this this bill will uh, deliver. deliver. Um, and, um, you know, look, you, this is going to ensure middle-class families uh, save money. We as a nation, whether people want it or not, whether they come, you know, kicking and being dragged screaming, will be shifting from clean energy to electrification. Yeah. And when I think about electric vehicles being built, electric charging stations having to be put, you know, at businesses, you know, throughout this country, and we got a lot of them and we're a big country, I right away thought jobs, 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 jobs. So yeah. please continue. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And and that that has been 
one of the open questions in this climate conversation, it's not only, I mean, getting beyond the question of is it real or not, of course it's real. Um, every real scientist says that, but getting beyond that question, then it's like, you know, how do you approach it? Um, and then the, the following question is, how do you approach it in a way that could potentially even create more jobs in the United States that you're going to displace? Because this does mean, this shift does mean that you're going to be displacing jobs. We, we can't pretend that's not the case. But if we do this the right way, we can more than break even and we can create better jobs. And so that's the approach I think that's very important about this new climate investment is that if you want those tax breaks uh, and you employ union workers and you're building the stuff in the United States, uh, they're going to be turbocharged for the corporate community and for the business community who's going to do that. And say same for the consumer incentives. And so we won't simply be trading foreign oil, uh, which has obviously wreaked all sorts of environmental havoc, as well as foreign policy challenges as well, Leslie. We won't simply be trading that for solar panels that are made in China. We will have a future that is made in America, that is clean, green, uh, and that has the potential to create a lot of great jobs. Uh, and so uh, that's why I'm excited about this. And just a word about the other parts of the bill, because there's a lot of them in, in this, you know, one point, I can't remember what the, the 1.75 trillion or so, you know, childcare is a great example. A lot of people aren't going back to work for the simple, for a lot of different reasons, but one of them is childcare is really damn expensive, <laughs> really yeah. expensive. And so, well, again, not every social priority is in this bill. Offsetting the costs of childcare will get people back to work and will be good for our economy and good for businesses as well. So there is a lot of good that's contained in, in this. You bill. know, I haven't heard somebody say that. That's a very smart point that you make, Sky. You make a lot of smart points, but I like that because you know, a lot of times um, you and I can even be like, you know, repeating information that we're saying that other people are saying, you know, and, you know, like, we're, you know, with regard to this bill or with regard to climate change. But I haven't heard that the offset with child care, uh, you know, being an incentive and, and assisting people in getting back to work. That's that's very interesting. You uh, we have 30 seconds to hard break. OK, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about Build Back Better. We're going to talk it. Uh, out with Scott Paul, who is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, the AAM. And we're going to continue with you. Don't go away. In the meantime, check out their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. And please follow AAM on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA. And follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. I'm Leslie Marshall. Back with him. Back with you right after this. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Happy Friday, TGIF. Scott Paul is with us, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Check out the AAM's website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Also on Twitter, follow them at Keep It Made in USA and follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. Scott, thanks for holding. Uh, welcome back. I, I just want to touch upon a few more things as we break down um, this $1.85 trillion social spending and climate bill, the Build Back Better plan. Um, one of the things you touched upon, upon was uh, ensuring clean energy technology. You talked about wind turbine blades, uh, solar panels, and of course, we just talked about electric cars. And you spoke about them being built in the United States with American-made steel and other materials. 
Can you speak to that? Because obviously not everybody in America has or is going to read all of the details. And we know the devil's in those. Absolutely. I'd be happy to. And the reason why I'm mentioning is not because just I care about manufacturing uh, and, and those jobs, because I do. But there are other good reasons for this as well. I think from a uh, political perspective, the more you can persuade voters that steps you're going to take to create a better climate future uh, are also going to create jobs rather than displace jobs, the more support you're going to get from left, right, middle, uh, conservative, uh, progressive. And, And so that's why that's one of the reasons why ensuring that the materials that are going to build that are going to build our clean energy future are are made in the United States. And I'll just give you a couple of, of quick examples here. Uh, offshore wind, uh, those those wind turbines that are that are in the ocean. Um, w- w- you know, there's some development of those already. Um, the vast majority of those are made in Asia or made in Europe. Uh, and there's virtually none of those that have been built in the United States. So we're literally putting them on a boat and bringing them to our shores uh, and erecting them. And part of that is because we were behind the game. I mean, the Europeans already had a renewable electric portfolio. Uh, China and other countries had massively subsidized their own industries, and and we didn't do any of that. And so we we ended up behind the eight ball. So uh, this investment helps us get behind that eight ball and back into the game and so the, the offshore wind farms of the, sh- of the future, the solar installations of the future, uh, the batteries that are going into our electric vehicles in the future will be made in, the, in America. And these tax incentives will help get us there. And it guides employers to do the right thing. Now, some people will say, well, that's like either corporate welfare or that's socialism or whatever. I mean, they'll, they'll throw out all sorts of reasons about why that's a terrible idea. And, uh, and maybe you can debate philosophies, but in the real world, Europe is, is doing the subsidization this right now. China's doing the subsidization right now. And so we can d- pretend like we're pure and we're different, but the fact is we'll lose those jobs. We will lose those jobs. There will be a paucity of solar panel jobs in the United States or jobs making wind turbines. And so this is a way to, to, to get those back, to start up those industries in the United States. And I'm just gonna point to batteries as a quick example of how this is working already. You have Ford, you have GM announcing they're gonna build battery plants in the United States of America, which are enormous plants that will employ lots of people. One of the reasons why they expect these tax incentives, the number two, there's an incentive now built into our trade agreements to do this to do this as well. And so if you have the right policies, the jobs will come with the climate benefits, but you have to have that intent in your policy. And I'm re- I'm really glad that it's not only President Biden who understands this, but it's also the congressional negotiators, the leadership uh, who understand this as well, is that to, to play the game, you have to put some skin in the game, uh, but you'll get returns on it and you'll see these good, well-paying, clean energy manufacturing jobs of the future come to the United States rather than us just bringing in more of this stuff uh, from China and other countries. And speaking of China, it it keeps us globally competitive with China. One of my friends who is from uh, Shanghai, 
she said when she went back to China, she has never seen more patriotism since she was born and more anti-American sentiment. And with that American anti-American sentiment, they're purchasing more made in China products as opposed to made in America products when they can find things that are not made here that are made there. And they are in a race with us for uh, being the manufacturing dom- you know, dominator and producer uh, of goods uh, in the world. And uh, sa- sadly, they've got, you know, and have had a, a jump on us, uh, not just in population, because they do what the government tells them to do, right? I mean, they're a communist nation, um, you know, but uh, I, I think this puts us uh, at a better position in the fight and in that race for that title uh, on, on the level uh, with, ma- you know, manufacturing, you know, production, um, you know, because that's what they want. They want China yeah. wants global dominance. And if that's the case, everything we own would be made there. And we know that would be made poorly. Uh, we know a lot of things that are made poorly, whether you have lead in toys or you just, as I mentioned before, T-shirts that fall apart after one wash, they're three for 10 bucks. Um, so, uh, do, you know, I mean, is that another aspect yeah. of this that maybe some Americans are missing with all of the headlines talking about Democratic infighting? Absolutely. And I want to make it clear from the top that I, I don't want uh, or think a U.S.-China Cold War is a good idea. Uh, but I think we also have to acknowledge some truths, which is Xi Jinping and the Communist Party, which, by the way, don't speak for the Chinese people. The Chinese people don't have any voice in, in right. this. This is an authoritarian regime. Um, definitely want to close the economy, to make it more state-centered, uh, and to pursue more global ambitions than they have in the past. And that's abundantly clear. And they had like a two or three part strategy. One of them was acquiring foreign technology, including U.S. technology, luring companies over and then saying, oh, you know, by the way, we got what we want. We're going to do it here by ourselves now. And you're no longer. Thank you very much. Yeah. Which is part of what you're seeing. And, and your friend is saying, and unfortunately, that has worked. But, you know, there are there are some people who so desperately want the, the climate, uh, the, the, the combating climate change uh, to move forward in the United States, for instance, like with solar panels, that they're like, you know what, we should just get the cheap ones from China. Um, th- that's how we're going to get this done. Otherwise, we might have to wait a little longer. And, and then, but, but there, there's a real cost to that because those solar panels, uh, the, the material for them, the polysilicon, is coming from the Uyghur region. And they're made with forced labor. Right. In terrible environmental conditions, Correct. that's not a sacrifice we should make. Uh, we we should we should make it right here at home, and, and I'm confident that we can do that. Particularly, as I said, Leslie, with the right policy incentives. Can you briefly touch upon the sustainability accelerator uh, that will invest in projects uh, nationwide in this bill? Yeah, again, I think that having that a little skin in the game will make a big difference, and the reason why this is important is that the cost of capital for some of these clean energy innovations is really expensive and is, is really hard to obtain on the private market, again, unless you're going to do it overseas. Uh, and so having an ability to offset some of those costs is going to make the United States globally competitive and is going to allow those industries a chance to flourish uh, in the United States. And that's going to be better for all of us. Again, it's going to be more jobs, and it's going to get us to our climate goals. Awesome. We're going to be back with Scott. When we come back, we're going to talk about the supply chain, maybe some things you didn't know about it. Again, can't always believe the headlines. I'm Leslie Marshall, Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. 
Please check out their website, AmericanManufacturing.org, and follow them on Twitter. The AAM can be found at Keep It Made in USA, as we should, and as the Build Back Better program will not force us, but uh, give incentives to companies to do. And Scott Paul can be followed at Scott Paul AAM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Happy Friday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, is our guest. Check out their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Paul AAM, and you can follow the AAM at Keep It Made in USA. Uh, Scott, thank you for holding. Welcome back. I want to talk about the supply chain. Uh, there's a, an article by Robert Kuttner uh, who uh, says the supply chain story everyone is missing. And I think a lot of people are missing the truth in the supply chain story because, uh, you know, there are media accounts. And like I said, the headline and you can't just, um, you know, uh, everybody's focusing on the trees. They're missing the forest. One thing in um, being on television and debating some of these um, supply chain stories or headlines, we have had a supply chain issue almost from the very beginning of COVID. Um, you know, there are many, many issues here. One, we are shopping more, we're buying more, and that's actually good for the economy, um, but it's causing, you know, a, you know, a, a, a rubber neck on the freeway uh, of our goods, right? Um, you know, uh, two, I mean, when you have all these ships like here in the ports of LA, and you, and you just don't have enough slips for the ships to come into and unload the containers and enough employees. By the way, some of the containers, some of the ships were held off because of COVID, not because of a, a, a cog in the wheel. Another issue is the supply chain story is not an American story. It's an international story. There's supply chain delays worldwide uh, because, you know, factories have closed and they're starting up. Maybe they have less employees. Maybe they had to cut back. Um, and then you just have Amazon going boom, 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 boom. And Amazon, by the way, said they don't feel you're going to have a delay uh, at Christmas um, with the goods that you'll be buying. But in addition to that, rather than going into stores and buying things already in stock within their inventory on the shelves, we are clicking a button and buying things online at a warehouse, sometimes not even in this country. So I know it's easy to blame Joe Biden and, you know, think things are going to hell in a handbag, um, you know, simply because you're not getting your stuff as, you know, fast as you'd like. I don't know about you. I'm getting my stuff as fast as my like. So I'm not I'm not feeling it here as much. Do I see less stuff uh, sometimes in some stores uh, on the shelves? Yes. But, you know, this, this is the way, by the way, so many people live throughout the world. Um, we're just really spoiled. <laughs> we really, really are. Um, but the 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 what we what do we hear? What do we see? What are the pictures? Ships are backed up. Ports are at capacity. They're not enough truck drivers. Shortages are compounding on each other as producers hoard supplies. But we need to look at why ports are overwhelmed to begin with. So Scott, I want you to jump in here um, because there's so much. Uh, you know, back in the 80s, there was just-in-time production, and like I said, with the pandemic, we have had supply chain issues since the beginning. They just weren't putting it in the headline and on the front page uh, when this all started prior to this administration being in charge. Right. A absolutely right. And so the first, let's draw a distinction between the beginning of the pandemic and, and where we are today. Because at the beginning, uh, there were stay-at-home orders. 
um, people were trying to stock up on staples, basically. I mean, not literally staples, but, you know, things they toilet need. Toilet paper. To, yeah, toilet paper. Toilet paper and paper it, towels, you could you know, not, and water and water, um, right? Bottles of water. Those three things that, you could that's not right. find. Like what, what you want to bring back to the cave so that you can uh, you, you can hold out for six months or whatever. And, and interestingly, a lot of those staples are actually made in the United States, okay? Like the toilet paper and what have you. So that was a product of stay at and just an overwhelming amount of demand uh, for a, a surge in demand. Okay, so that kind of worked itself out. Um, it, it took a few months to get there, but that kind of worked itself out. Now we're in a different problem. And, and that is that you know, the economy has opened back open, opened back up largely. People have more incentives to spend. And by the way, we have very few incentives to save in the United States. You know, you look at, have you ever looked at the interest rate on like a savings account? I mean, it is a, I mean, why bother? I was going to say what interest rate on a savings Exactly. Account? Why bother? And so there is literally no major incentive unless you have an incredible amount of foresight to, to save. You, you just spend it because you can get cheap goods and you can get lots of it. And that's kind of how our policy was designed. And so this has shifted to kind of a container ship problem. And, and here's why. You know, the we get a lot of this stuff uh, and some of it is essential, but some of it is just stuff uh, from overseas. We get it overseas because of our trade agreements, our tax policies and corporate attitudes, which are like, even if I have a profitable factory in the United States, I don't care because I can move it overseas and make even more money than I am now. Okay. So that's why, you know, Walmart alone is responsible for like 500,000 shipping containers a year that, that are coming from just overseas. Not, Most Walmart. of those from China. You, that is an extraordinary volume. And they're not alone. It's, it's Home Depot. It's Target. It's all of these companies and people are buying, buying, buying because they have some more disposable income now because uh, things are in a little better shape. And we have this combination of this offshoring and then just in time production, which means that if it is something that has complicated parts, there may not be those extra parts because every supplier has cut back to try to become more lean to try to either appease shareholders or the market or somebody else. And so it's not resilient at all. The, 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 the supply chain is not resilient. So we have over-globalized. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not for throwing up walls, but we've over-globalized. We've overdone it. We kind of overspend uh, on, on consumer stuff instead of save. Uh, and then the, 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 the corporations themselves have, have made the system very fragile because they don't want to pay for redundancy or they don't want to pay a little more to have a supply close to home. Um, when they could get it from Vietnam or China and pay the workers a pittance and exploit the environment. Uh, and it doesn't. So, so, is it, so, Scott, is it fair to say that it's, you know, it's not just that we have a shortage of trucks or truckers yeah. um, and, and, you know, that we are as consumers, um, that we are negligent and guilty parties of this equation as well. We are part of the supply chain issue because if we didn't buy, if we bought goods made in America and the corporations, if more goods were made in America, we wouldn't have a problem at the ports at all Yeah, because you would buy your goods that are made here. So we as consumers, now sometimes there's some things we don't have a choice, right? You know, but, but there are products made in America 
um, and they're not having to go through a port. Yeah, that, that is 100 percent right. And and the challenge, again, is that you see when you're clicking through that bargain. Right. And you're like, oh, that is so cheap. I have to have that. Why is the reason? Yeah. <laughs> and and it is. And, and everything from fast fashion to Amazon have enabled this. And by the way, you know, 40 percent of the sellers on Amazon now are based in China, directly in China. So it is as much a Chinese company as a Seattle-based company r- right now because of where, where it is sourcing from. And so I'm not, look, you are not, we're not going to convince consumers to stop spending a, a ton of cash. Mm-hmm. But I do think that educating consumers is a wise thing about, you know what, you might pay a few bucks more for and I am going to throw out the brand because it's a good one. Although I don't get any money from this American giant that makes its hoodies in the United States, that hoodie is going to last you for ten years. Whereas if you buy a cheap one from a retailer, you might pay you know fifteen twenty bucks for it, but you're going to wear it out in a season, and you're going to keep buying it and keep buying it and keep buying it. And there's a cost in the environment of that. There's a cost to exploited labor from that, and you're ultimately going to pay more. Uh, uh, over the course right. of that, than you would. Because you're going to buy ten hoodies when you could That's add one. Right. That's right. But you know, most most minds don't don't think like that. And so, but and you're helping to employ and exploit again, little children in Bangladesh, right? I mean, yeah, you you got it. And so, just like you know, j- just like with this with this issue on renewable energy that we were talking about before, if we are smart about this and if we have the right policies. This isn't like the Trumpian thing, like I want to put a wall around the United States, but it's just balance. And a perfect example is the the, the ships, which you probably can't see from your from, no. from your window, but they're not too far off uh, shore there uh, on the West Coast. They come in, they are laden down with cargo. When they're going out, they're, they're, they have mostly empty shipping containers and they're riding high in the water. Because we don't export enough stuff abroad and we're right. bringing too much in. All we want is a little balance and we will right. all be better. Because when they're coming in with goods, we're, we're losing money because we've spent. When they're going out empty, we're not making money. That's right. <laughs> we haven't sold them to anything. You got it. You got it. That's 100% right. And so we need more balance uh, in this. And policy is one way to get us there. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Scott. Scott Paul is president of the AAM, the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Check out their website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Go to Twitter and follow them there at Keep It Made in USA. Follow Scott as well at Scott Paul AAM. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk about, um, well, something Scott did uh, with a little body called Congress. And um, I, I want to uh, for, I want to tell you how proud I am of you. And I want to talk about your testimony uh, before our elected officials in our nation's capital right after this. Don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. We are back. Happy Friday. I'm Leslie Marshall. Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, is our guest. And Scott, uh, you know, you can check out the website for AAM, AmericanManufacturing.org. On Twitter, follow Scott at ScottPaulAAM and follow the AAM at Keep It Made in USA. Um, Scott, you appeared before Congress and um, in your testimony, 
You talk about what caused the supply chain woes. You also talked about what to do now. You touched upon what caused the supply chain woes in the in the past segment before the break. Do you want to, you know, it, you know, expand on that and talk a bit more about that before we can talk about what we do now looking forward to the future? Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I will add, Leslie, because I talked about the over-globalization, the just-in-time, the imbalances in our trade and tax policy, the fact that we have massive incentives to consume but not to save in this country. So I don't need to rehash that, but let me add another dimension to that, which is that we have seen warning signs of this before, and we've ignored them. And you know, when the Fukushima disaster happened in Japan, um, which was obviously a terrible toll there, it also had a ripple effect throughout supply chains uh, in the automotive sector. Okay, and so we should have known. Um, uh, we should have known that uh, you know that this was a problem. Number one. Number number two. Um, we we've seen shortages happen uh, in in the United States uh, before as well, uh, and and so this is. For instance, grain-oriented electrical steel, which no one should know about, no one buys it, but it goes into our electrical transformers. Like we're down to one producer of that in the entire United States, and we've seen over the course of the pandemic the semiconductor supply chain get get disrupted, and that's had an impact not only in technology but also in the automotive sector sector uh, and and with smart appliances and lots of other things as well. And so we we let all of that kind of get away. The warning signs were there. We just didn't do anything about them. And so, you know, the 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 second part of my testimony is like, well, here's here's how we can literally build back better and and more resilient uh, because it's just not this. It doesn't need to. I mean, you can't control the weather. Obviously, you can't control uh, public health emergencies. Uh, when they occur, you know, if they occur, but you can make yourself more prepared for for all of this, and there are ways in which we can do that. Uh, yeah, most definitely. Um, how long do you think, you know, with your knowledge of this supply chain issue, how long do you think that these uh, product shortages, widespread uh, shortages, and um, these shutdowns, how long will this last? How long will it create this havoc that, you know, consumers are, are feeling and reeling from right now uh, nationwide? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great question. And so I, I think a lot of the uh, consumer facing shortages will abate fairly soon. And there are signs that some of them are already, um, that, that lead times are going down uh, and you're seeing it. It depends by commodity and by demand, but but you're you're seeing some of that already. I think an ongoing concern is going to be like in something like semiconductors, because we make um, only a fraction of the semiconductors that we consume here in the United States. There are big announcements of some some semiconductor plants that are going to be built in the United States, which is unquestionably a good thing. But those aren't going to start making semiconductors for three or four years. So. Well, I, I think I told you uh, yeah. one of my brothers worked at a semiconductor plant in Rhode Island and lost his job because his right. job and others went to China. He fortunately got another job, 
Um, but yeah, he uh, he was in semiconductors and semiconductor business for the majority of his career. Yeah, so you've seen this, and, and you know we we incubated this industry in the United States, Leslie. You know, a, a generation ago, we were the world leaders. Intel, ADM, all these countries, all these companies, Micron, and then it migrated overseas, and so. There is a plan to get it back, and, and I think this is one of the good things, one of the good news things is that in addition to the Build Back Better, to the physical investments, to the social investments, to the climate investments, another big piece of legislation I'm hopeful will get done uh, with bipartisan support is a competitiveness bill. And we've seen one pass the Senate already. We saw it passed this summer in, in the United States Senate. Uh, you know, Senator Schumer worked with some, I, I think there, there were like 18 Republicans who voted for it, um, which was pretty fantastic. And so the House of Representatives is beginning work on its own. And so I was trying to inform that process as well uh, and saying, yes, it does make sense to have grants, to have uh, guaranteed loans, uh, to help incubate some of this, particularly for critical industries like semiconductors. So, because otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in a position of dependence, whether it's China or something in the Asian Asian sphere, which China can threaten, by the way, uh, unless we're able to make more of what we consume here. And, and, and again, this does not mean erecting a wall around the United right. States, but it does mean having more balance, having more capability, because we have shed so much of it. You know, one of the things you talked about in your in your testimony before Congress um, was that, you know, this is not, uh, you know, falling in the lap of one party or the other politically to blame. You said, and I quote in your testimony, we face an acute crisis. This is what happens when you offshore a lot of American manufacturing capacity. This began many decades ago. It was turbocharged by giving China a blank check in 2000 and then not holding China to, China to account. And this was true of Democratic and Republican administrations for a number of years. But here we are today. How is this received, being that you're saying both your parties, guys and gals, uh, is responsible and has been responsible for this, and both your parties has the responsibility now or can take the task uh, to change this, uh, you know, going forward. How how was this received? And do you feel at your testimony they were trying to make this political, especially because you have Democratic leadership in the House, the Senate, and the White House? Yeah, so it's interesting. I think that what, what I found is that uh, the focus among Democrats was that, yes, we're fine with these investments, even though they're going to businesses, you know, and these are some progressive members, um, as long as those jobs they create are good jobs, right? You know, it, it's, let's not create a race to the bottom here in the United States. And so I, th I think you found general support. Among Republicans, I think you also found general support uh, for the issue and a willingness to push back against China and to be more competitive. I think they're stuck, though, Leslie, some of them, in this thing, well, if we just regulate less and we tax less, we'll be able to bring more back here at home. And my point to that is like, if that worked, we would have had a manufacturing boom in the 1980s. <laughs> and we would have had a manufacturing boom in the Bush administration. And guess what? The opposite happened. The exact opposite happened. That is not what gets it done. Smart investments, investing in people, having a tougher trade policy that is smarter, that's the way we're going to get this done. And it is going to take some time, but it's worth doing. 
you also went on to say, and forgive the headphones, the leaf blower man is right outside, even though I've said these days and times don't come. They just keep changing. They come any day they want. You know, my dog's in the corner freaking out. Anyway. Uh, don't uh, get we, me started on leaf blowers, but that's a, that's a whole nother segment. Certainly. Oh, my God. I just was, I've been irritated this week. I've been getting mad at everything. Drivers, construction workers. Sorry. I just, can I just say this? Why on earth do construction workers choose rush hour to do the construction on the freeway? You know what I mean? It's sort of like, don't you think there's a smarter time to do this, you know? Um, well, you also said, uh, quote, we have left our capacities incredibly thin, to your point. So when we face these black swan events like a public health crisis or a natural disaster that disrupts supply chains or political risks coming from the Communist Party of China, it shows how exposed we are. Why isn't this another area like infrastructure of bipartisan agreement with this is bet this is a win politically, right? Win, win, win on both sides of the aisle. Certainly a win for the American worker, the American economy, and, and for quite frankly, our standing in the world, because that you know, people wouldn't be bowing down to China with regard to goods. They in a sense, I don't want to say bow down to the United States, they'd need us more. Yeah, and, that, and it's a good more, place to be. <laughs> right, there'd be more mutuality at least, and 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 interdependence is not a bad thing necessarily. But but but, but so I, I'm optimistic because we saw this in the Senate. We saw a bipartisan uh, majority pass this competitiveness bill back in July. It was not a perfect bill. I in fact, there's parts of it that I think are counterproductive. But overall, I thought the general direction was good. I'm hopeful that we can get the same process in the House of Representatives because. Every member represents some manufacturing somewhere. Uh, they have to realize this. Every member cares about national security. Uh, and so I think that uh, with with a singular purpose uh, that we can get this done. Um, and, and my hope, since this isn't also talking about like a trillion dollars in new investment, that it's not going to raise the red flags about spending, which Republicans only seem to care about at certain times, uh, but not others that seem to be aligned with who's in office. We only have 30 seconds. I want to thank you for being with us today and uh, wish you and like me are uh, poo-poo, apathetic teenagers <laughs> about uh, Halloween, a great Halloween. Uh, and uh, thank you. You did a great job uh, in your congressional testimony. I'm proud of you as a friend and as a colleague. Um, and uh, I, I think the thing that I love, Scott, is you just you really give the facts, but you also don't leave, leave me as an American feeling hopeless. So thank you for that. And uh, that's what the AAM does. It gives hope, um, you know, and that's why you got to check it out. Go to AmericanManufacturing.org. Follow them on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA. Follow Scott at Scott Paul AAM. I'm Leslie Marshall. Scott Paul, thank you for joining us, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Have a great weekend, everybody, and happy Halloween. Thank you, Mark and Mark Romaldi, our executive producer. Have a great one. Thanks, Leslie.